The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. Paul is speaking here in, in, the, in the book of 1 Corinthians, and uh, as he speaks, he's, he's giving us some insight as to who he is and uh, who he was. He mentions that he was an apostle, that it was born out of due time. He mentions that he was the least of the apostles because he persecuted the church. So let me uh, just present to you, as the Bible presents to us, uh, something this morning when it comes to the resurrection. I'm not preaching the resurrection this morning because I think it happened. I'm not preaching the resurrection to you this morning because I think it's a happy story that helps bring people hope and it's what people want to hear on Easter Sunday. I'm preaching you the resurrection this morning because it's a fact. It's, 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 not, a, it's not a question, did it happen? It's not a question, could it have happened? It's not a question, maybe it happened. It's a fact. And uh, I tell you, I want to present to you the fact of the resurrection this morning, the way Paul presents it to us in 1 Corinthians. Because as you read the passage, he talks about if it didn't happen. Because he was somebody that believed it didn't at one time. At one time in Paul's life, he was a Jew. The Bible says he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He knew so much scripture. He knew the prophecies concerning the Messiah. He knew all these things. And at the same time, he persecuted the church. The Bible says that uh, it tells us that while Stephen was being stoned for being a Christian and for preaching this same thing that Paul was later preaching, Paul was standing there and he was watching the garments of those who took their cloaks off to pick up stones and martyr and kill Stephen. And I tell you, you don't watch something that graphic. You don't watch something that horrible and forget about that. That picture uh, was in his brain, in his mind, as well as those that he locked up uh, and threw into prison and, and chased and persecuted. As a matter of fact, when he met Jesus, the Bible says he was on the road to Damascus. He was headed to uh, a church in Damascus, and he was going to go lock those Christians up and persecute them. And he'd be given religious authority to do it. Uh, See, the greatest enemies of Christ have always been those of religion because they have all these tenets and laws and practices that go around uh, uh, what Christ did and try to, if you would, make a way for us to merit salvation or to get salvation apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, it makes us feel good about ourselves because we can say, well, I've been a good person, I've done good things, and that's why I'm going to get to heaven. But the Bible presents uh, that not to be true. And uh, when uh, we're presenting something to be factual, uh, we have to have witnesses, don't we? I mean, if we were to have a, a, a trial today, uh, and uh, it, something was to be claimed as being true, if a judge was to make a decision about something's validity, uh, what we would need, we would need credible witnesses. As a matter of fact, in a court of law, when, uh, when witnesses are brought before the judge and the jury and those that are listening, often the play of... Uh, the prosecutor, often the play of the defense lawyer, is to try to discredit the witnesses that are brought forth uh, by something in their life or something that uh, perhaps causes them not to be credible witnesses. But we know what makes a witness a witness. A witness is a witness because they've seen something with their own eyes. They've seen something, they've experienced something. And when it comes to the resurrection, again, uh, I want to tell you that this morning that Jesus is risen from the dead And that is a fact. It is a fact, and I want you to see this in the Scriptures. It's amazing how many things can be passed off as fact today. 
Uh, have you ever, uh, no, nobody's on Facebook, right? Uh, most people today get their news from Facebook. It's a poor medium to receive news. As a matter of fact, how many knew you could figure out where the, plane, the Malaysian plane was because all your friends on Facebook told you they knew where it was? And, uh, you know, they, they told you that this happened or that It's amazing what people believe because they read it on the Internet, right? Uh, it's on there, and so it must be true. But then when we come down to something that comes from a book that's been around for thousands of years and that uh, has proven the test of time, that has been persecuted and, and burned and tried to be quieted and tried to be thrown away, but yet is readily available in the United States of America that you can walk into a dollar store and pick one up, a copy of God's Word, if you want to have it. I tell you this morning that we have no excuse because we have the news. We have the good news. We have a valid source from whence to go to get what we need to know about the truth. And the Bible says the truth is what makes us free. And more and more, you know, what we need is for people that have platforms and people that have podiums and for people that have microphones in the world that we live in is just tell the truth, don't we? Because there's so many things that are being said that are not true. And there's an agenda that's being pushed or there's a reason behind what they're saying. But when we have opportunity to speak and whenever Paul had opportunity to speak, He always spoke on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ because he knew it to be true, because he was an eyewitness of the fact that it's true. I want you to see, number one, if you're following along in the outline, the fact stated. The fact stated. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 3 because he begins to state something as fact. Now, be careful. Uh, I always say this to my kids when they come to tell me uh, something. I say, now... Make sure that what you're saying is the truth. The Bible tells us that what sort of things are true are the things we're supposed to think about. And so I say, before you repeat something, make sure that you know that it's what? Come on. Have you ever repeated something that wasn't true? Ever got egg on your face because of it? Ever put your foot in your mouth? Come on. I know some people in here that you've had your foot in your mouth many times in your life, and you know uh, what your foot tastes like very well. And even some uh, uh, begin to almost, uh, uh, it's kind of sick, but we begin to almost like it so much because we do it, put our foot in our mouth, we begin to like what that tastes like. But we, we, we do it over and over and over again because often we regurgitate a bunch of lies, don't we? Listen, we have people in higher places of learning regurgitating a bunch of things that someone told them that was true, but there was no factual evidence uh, to prove that to be true. But because they heard it from somebody who had a PhD on the wall, it must obviously be true. Now, let me tell you something. That doesn't make something true. Uh, Hitler even said, if I say something long enough and loud enough and often enough, people will believe it to be true. But it doesn't make it true, does it? What makes something true is that it's proven to be true. And let me show you this because as Paul begins to preach uh, this, uh, he, he begins to tell us in a statement that this is not something that he thinks happened, but it is something that he knows to be true. Look at verse number uh, t- uh, three. He says, for I delivered unto you. So he's talking about a message. I'm giving you a message. I'm delivering you something. I want to tell you something. He says, uh, first of all, that which I also received. He said, so I want to deliver to you something I've received. Now, anybody ever play that game when you were little called telephone? You know what you're talking about? Like if we started up here with Mark, Mark, I know you would tell the truth, but if you pass it on to somebody, by the time you got to the back, it might not be true. Uh, you know, but, you know, it, it goes from one person to the other. It's amazing how over time that things that are passed on sometimes get embellished on a little bit. Or Come on, guys, you've all told that fish story. 
and uh, the longer you tell it, the larger it gets. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, we, we, we talk about all these things, and we tend to embellish on the truth a little bit sometimes. Uh, but this is not what Paul was doing. Paul was saying, I'm giving you exactly what I got. I'm not telling you something and embellishing on it. I'm not adding to it. I'm not taking away from it. I'm delivering to you that which I received. It's exactly as I got it. But here's another thing, because there's a problem when we make statements sometimes that are based on hearsay, right? Because when we talk and it's something that we heard, sometimes we say, well, I wonder where the source is, right? And is the source of what we heard credible? But Paul's not saying that he received it from someone else, like someone gave it to him as hearsay, because look at what he says. He says, I delivered uh, unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now, some people don't have a problem with this statement, because the statement just says that Jesus died. Now, I tell you that nobody really has a problem with saying someone died, because that makes sense to us. Of course, we know that people die. And we've all seen pictures of the crucifixion and artwork and crosses and statues and all these things. And so we kind of swallow that pretty easily that somebody died. And we know that Jesus is known for dying on a cross. And so if you talk to somebody who has any knowledge about Jesus, most of them would tell you that they know that Jesus died on the cross. But Paul doesn't stop there when he makes the statement because when he delivers this statement, he deals in three things. And the first one that he deals with is the cross. He says the cross in this factual statement, is the first place I want to take to you to reveal to you that this is a fact. He didn't just say that Christ died. He said Christ died according to the Scriptures. In other words, he was saying, just like Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53, thousands of years before Jesus died, just like David mentioned in the earlier passages of Scripture, how he would die thousands of years before he came, Jesus died in the same way that people before Jesus, thousands of years before him, said he would die. It is the way that he died. Now, I don't know about you, but that's pretty tough. I mean, when I can open up the Scriptures, and by the way, it's factual. Don't let people say, you watch the History Channel long enough, and they'll tell you a bunch of things that's not really history. And uh, it's a shame they call themselves a history channel because they talk about so many things that aren't true. Uh, But when you look at uh, the the Bible, you know you can study it. Archaeologists uh, uh, agree on this. Uh, 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 Scholars agree on this. The Bible was found. It was scrolls that were written. There were uh, lots of times and spanning between those that penned them. They were preserved over periods of time. We got it. We didn't get it all at once. It was given to us over a, a fullness of time over a distance of time. Isn't it amazing that God did that? Because he didn't give us what we got because some guy up in upstate New York somewhere dug up some golden plates and he found these plates and nobody, and if you know anything about, that's where Mormonism comes from. Uh, he, He found these golden plates and he dug them up and he read them and God spoke to them. That's when Jesus made a trip to New York. You didn't know that. But Jesus did at some point, according to them. And, uh, you know, he dug the, you know, put the plates in the ground and all these things. And, and get this, he's the only one that ever saw them because, coincidentally, they were destroyed after he read them. Come on, it was like, this message will self-destruct, you know, uh, after you read this. He was the only one that got them, that saw them, so he couldn't pass it on to anybody. He couldn't give it to anybody except for hearsay. There were no witnesses to say this was true. There was no cooperation of evidence. There was nothing that we could say this is true. That's not how we got the Bible. The Bible tells us 
as we look at Scripture, we look at different penmen over thousands of years of time, when this fact is stated, it's showing us, Paul is saying, Jesus didn't just die on the cross. He died on the cross according to the Scriptures. He died the way that God said thousands of years before that he would die. He was born in the place that thousands of years before he was born there, God said he was going to be born. Now, how did he know that? Because God's eternal. He knows everything. That's what makes him God. That's what makes him a lot different than me because as much as I try to pretend that I do, I don't know everything. I know you're shocked. But let me tell you another secret. You don't either. We don't know everything. And sometimes uh, we like to think that we know everything, but God knows all. He knows the end from the beginning. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The omniscience of God is what we know is one of the, the staples of what makes God God. He knows, he knows everything. And uh, Paul is saying, when he takes us to the cross, he's saying, Jesus died according to the Scriptures. Now, he doesn't stop there. Look at verse number 4. It says, and that he was buried. And that he was buried. Well, when someone dies, what do we do? We bury them. So this is not profound things. I mean, we, we're getting this to saying, okay, I get that he died. I can swallow that. I get that he was buried because when somebody dies, you bury them. And that makes sense. What's well, an amazing thing about, I don't know if you're on the Twitter, the Twitter, whatever, you know, if you're on that, uh, you know, uh, what was amazing this morning is one of the things that was worldwide trending in our world, in, in the universe, is the fact, uh, it, were, were two phrases, one is he is risen, the other one is resurrection Sunday. They were trending worldwide, thousands and thousands and thousands, see, the news won't cover that, they won't say anything about that, they won't even mention that. They'll, they'll tell you when, uh, you know, the Kardashians is, 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 is worldwide trending. They'll, they'll tell you when something stupid is worldwide trending, but they won't tell you when something, hey, truth, fact, news, something that actually took place and happened is actually trending in the world that we know today. It's amazing to think about that this morning, that there are thousands of people in our world that believe this to be true. And it's not just because someone told them that was true. If you watch the news, they'll tell you that it wasn't true, that it didn't happen, that these things are just things that people that need crutches and people that need help and people that need believe in, but it's not. See, Jesus died and he was buried, but he was also buried. That cemetery, that second place he takes us to, the cemetery, was also according to the scriptures. It was interesting that when Jesus died, that all of the disciples except for John Went away, they, they ran and they, they hid themselves, the Bible says. And John was at the cross and everybody else had kind of dispersed. And when it was time for the body of Christ to be taken off the cross, there were two men. And uh, if you've seen any of the artwork, uh, you'll see the body of Christ being taken off the cross. There's two men in that uh, picture, that painting. And one of them is Joseph of Arimathea. And uh, we know him, the Bible says he went to ask for the body of the Lord. Uh, he, he was a man that had some clout, if you would. He had some money. He had some, uh, he had some if you would, uh, influence that he was able to do. That. He also had a tomb. And he had a place that was available that he was willing to allow Jesus to borrow for a few days. And, uh, you know, he uh, gave that tomb, if you would, to the Lord. There's a second man that was there in that painting that often people forget about. His name was Nicodemus. And if you remember, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night in, in John chapter number 3, 
In John 3, he asked a lot of questions. He was a religious guy. He snuck up and he said, hey, we know you're a master. You know, you know we're se- you're sent from God and all these things. But he was like trying to really kind of influence Jesus to kind of stop making such a mess when it came to religion because people were starting to target him, want to kill him. He also had some questions, didn't he? And Jesus just let him ask questions. See, Nicodemus never asked why. He asked how. He said, how can these things be? Never said why. He said how. Because he just wondered, uh, what was this way that Jesus was talking about? What was this plan that Jesus was talking about, this being born again? By the way, uh, somebody say, oh, you're one of those born again people. You read the Bible, Jesus said, you must be born again. That's what he said. He said, you cannot be saved unless you're born again. And Nicodemus marveled at these things. He said, how can I go into my mother's womb a second time and be born? That doesn't make sense. Jesus said, except you be born of water and of the Spirit, you shall not see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus went away. He didn't trust Christ. He didn't believe on Christ after that statement. He came to Jesus by night. In uh, John chapter number 7, we see Nicodemus standing up for Christ. As the Pharisees begin to question the Lord, Nicodemus kind of steps up and says something. They get, they get quiet. It was kind of like not a very bold statement, but it was kind of just a little, because Nicodemus was thinking about what Jesus had spoken to him about. Then all of a sudden, in John chapter 19, we see Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is asking for the body of the Lord. And the Bible says he gives a a 100-pound weight towards the embalming process, towards the spices and the myrrh and all the things that they were going to do to prepare the, the Lord's body. You see a great sacrifice. He's giving of his personal possessions himself. See, Joseph gave the tomb, and Nicodemus gave all the linens. He gave all the spices. He gave all the things that would have been to prepare the body of the Lord. How weird that these two men were used to prepare the body when all the disciples had gone away. All the followers, all the people that spent time with Jesus, they had gone, but these two men were there, and God used them, and they had positions that they could be used. Because I tell you this, the religious crowd did not want Jesus buried They wanted him burned. They wanted him cast off a cliff into refuse, into the waste. They did not want him buried, and definitely not for a 100-pound weight of preparation, which was the burial of a king. They didn't want him to be buried that way, but that's what Nicodemus gave. They buried him that way. As a matter of fact, the Bible is very careful to tell us that when Jesus rose from the grave, they found those linens that were there, and the napkin that they put around his head was carefully folded and placed back in place. It was like Jesus said, okay, I don't need the tomb anymore. You can have that back. I don't need the linens either. Perhaps you could use them, wash them, use them for somebody else. And uh, Jesus was uh, very careful with what others gave to him, And he gave it back to them, in a sense, because he didn't need them, because he was not there. He was risen. That's what the Bible says. It's significant to think about. I know some people that have been, some of you uh, perhaps have been to Jerusalem, and you've been to the garden tomb, and you've seen it's still empty, by the way. Uh, But what's interesting about this is not just that he was buried, because we can swallow those statements. The third place he takes us to is the calendar. The cross, the cemetery, the calendar. You say, what the calendar? Well, look at verse number four. He said in that he rose again the third day. He didn't just say he rose again. He said he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Now, Jesus had spoken about this third day again and again. This was not a a new thing. Jesus had spoken to his disciples because the disciples had an aha moment, didn't they? Because after they went to the tomb and found out that he wasn't there, the Bible says, then they remembered 
what he'd said, that he was going to rise again on the third day. Because if somebody told you that, you'd think they would have been like standing there waiting for it to happen. You'd think they would have been standing there like, okay, it's day three, let's go. He said he's going to walk out. He's coming out. I want to be there to see it. But they didn't do that. They were still licking their wounds. They were still feeling sorry for themselves. They were still in disbelief and doubt. Even the disciples that walked with Jesus didn't believe in the resurrection at first. They had trouble with it. And the first people to go was Mary. She went because she wanted to anoint the body of the Lord. So even she had a little disbelief because she thought he was still going to be there. But he wasn't there, was he? Because when she got to the tomb, she found a man in white apparel saying, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here, for he's risen. He said, why are you looking for Jesus here? Why would he be in a cemetery? He told you he was going to be here for three days and then he was going to go. Jesus said this, nobody takes my life. I'm going to lay it down. I'm going to offer it as a sacrifice and then I'm going to take it back again. He said, nobody can take it. I can lay it down and I can take it up again. Now, it's one thing for the disciples to watch Lazarus come out of the grave four days after he'd been in the grave. And uh, they say, boy, you know, that's great power. It's one thing for them to see as Jesus walks in and says, Jairus' daughter's on the table, she's dead. And Jesus says, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. And, and they see her. Right. But when the person who's doing all the miracles is now dead, it's kind of hard for them to grasp that he's going to raise himself. It's kind of hard for them to grasp that. But notice the Bible says that on the third day, he rose again according to the scriptures. Now, what's great about this is that we know God's God, and somewhere in eternity past, God marked the calendar. God said, this is the day that you're going to rise from the dead. Now, he knew the day, and he knew the hour, and he knew the moment. He knew all of those things, and the calendar was just marked. By the way, come on, when you know something's going to happen, when you're preparing for it, how many got vacation marked on the calendar? How many wish you had vacation marked on the calendar? You know, uh, if you were going on a cruise, how many did the countdown thing, you know? I'm going, going, we're going. Uh, how many How many of you been married and you did the countdown thing, and now you have a different countdown after you're married, but it's not the one that you were looking forward to. It's a different count. No, I'm just kidding, all right? It's not that count. It's either me or her, right? Whichever one, all right? It's a countdown. Uh, but, you know, uh, you know we're, we, we have these things we prepare for. We, we mark them on the calendar, right? Because we, we're, we're sure they're going to happen. See, God knew when Jesus was going to walk out. It was on the cal- Listen, it was on Jesus' mind. Jesus had prepared, the Bible says he began to prepare the disciples of the things that he would do. He tried to tell them about it. But they heard, but it just kind of went one in the ear, out the other. Just like some of you this morning about everything I said up to now when I'm just now getting your attention because I'm talking about it, right? Yeah, oh, wait, sorry, I'm in church. Yeah, all right, pay attention. Uh, and, you know, we, we, sometimes that's how we are. We hear truth, but we don't believe it. Thomas, after the resurrection, said, I won't believe except I can put my hands in the, in the nails, prince. I won't believe except I can see him for myself. See, even the eyewitnesses told him that what they saw, and Thomas said, I don't care what you say, I'm not going to believe. See, some people will still say that. They'll still be, still be like Thomas. I'm not going to believe it. I didn't see it with my own eyes, I don't believe it. 
You know, they're studying the conspiracy theories. Jesus, perhaps, maybe when he was on the cross, he didn't die, he swooned. And, uh, you know, like anyone could go through what he went through and just swoon. I mean, I swoon when I see blood. I don't swoon when I bleed. I swoon when somebody else bleeds. Uh, Jesus wasn't on the cross when, uh, you know, when he, when he uh, was on the cross, he didn't just pass out and they put him in the grave. Listen, they embalmed his body. You know what? I'm not going to get into the gross embalming process, but it's not fun. You know, you don't usually wake up from that. Okay. I'm just telling you that. that that's not what happens when you get embalmed. You don't eventually say, oh, I'm, I want to wake up now. That's not what happened. They didn't get the paddles together and, you know, clear, you know, they didn't, they didn't do that. That's not what happened at, at the tomb. It's not what took place. Listen, some people tell you that's what happened, the swoon theory. Jesus swooned, and then he woke up, and he wasn't really dead. He just kind of came back to life. Listen, if you believe that, you're, you're overlooking all the evidence of what actually happened, and you're trying to find something that's there because you just don't want to believe. The truth of the matter is that Jesus, he died. He took us to the cross. He was buried. He took us to the cemetery. He rose again the third day. He took us to the calendar. And then, let me just say this, after a fact is stated, the fact must then be substantiated. And uh, that's what he does, number two, if you're following your outline, the fact is substantiated by the verses afterwards. Because he begins to prove what he said. And this is how he does it. He says, if you don't want to believe what I received, I want to, if you would, introduce you to some people who witness it themselves. Because it's not enough for me just to tell you that it's true. You have got to know that it actually happened based on the facts. And that's what he does. Look at it. In verse number 5, it says, And that he was what? Seen. That he was seen. That's interesting. The Bible doesn't just say, Jesus rose from the grave, trust me. It says Jesus rose from the grave and he was seen. People saw him. But here's the thing. If I just told you something's true, and I say it's true because people saw it, you'd say, what people, right? What people? What people are you talking about? So he begins to name the people. He begins to go through the people that saw him as he substantiates the fact of what he stated already. He says in the first, uh, in verse number five, he says he was seen of who? Cephas. Who's Cephas? Peter. Cephas is Peter. Peter, now we know Peter, when Jesus was arrested, before the rooster crowed, as Jesus told him, he did what? He denied Jesus three times. He denied that he even knew him, that he was a follower of him. He denied Jesus. So, Because he denied Jesus, he was ashamed of what he'd done, just like Judas did. I mean, the Bible says he wept bitterly. Judas went out and hung himself. The only thing that kept uh, Peter from doing the same was Jesus. Jesus said, hey, the devil wants to sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you. And uh, he said, when thou art converted, he said, you're going to do some great things, Peter, and I'm going to use you. See, there was hope even after Peter's denial. Peter was not happy about what he did. As a matter of fact, Jesus showed up on the side of the seashore and came to Peter and said, Hey, Peter, do you love me? Remember, he asked him three times. He was seen of Cephas. Peter saw him. Listen, you know what's interesting about this is that Paul 
went to visit Peter. After Paul was converted, after he trusted Christ as his Savior, historically we know that Paul went to visit Peter. And he went to visit Peter. What do you think they talked about? Because Paul didn't walk with Jesus for three and a half years. Peter did. Peter said, hey, because he went to visit him at Jerusalem, where it all went down. What do you think he did? He got the Holy Land tour. That's what he got. I mean, Peter said, let me show you where he died. Let let me show you where he was baptized. Let let me show you where he fed the 5,000. Let me show you where uh, the pool of Bethesda, where he he told the man to take up his bed and walk. Let, Let me show you where he preached the Sermon on the Mount. Let me show you where this happened, where that. And Peter began to tell him all the things that he had personally seen with his own eyes and his hand is, had handled of, uh, of Jesus Christ and his personal experiences. And he said, let me show you this. And then don't you think he took him to the tomb? Sure he did. You say, why? Because wasn't it Peter that ran to the tomb? He ran ahead, just, you know, we talked about foot and mouth disease. Peter had it too. And Peter didn't believe But when he heard that possibly it happened, the Bible says he ran ahead. I mean, he he knocked John over. He took off, and he ran ahead. I mean, he's on a full-on sprint to the tomb. And he saw the place where the Lord had lain. He saw the grave clothes. He saw the empty tomb. And this is what Paul's talking about. He saw it together. We saw it. It was seen of Cephas. Notice, not just uh, uh, the first uh, person was his friends, but we also see uh, the second group of people that he brings before us is not just his friends, but he says is then of the 12. He was seen of the one who denied him, and he was seen of the one, ones who he discipled, his friends. Hey, listen, when something great happens, who do you want to show it to first? All your friends. Jesus said, hey, these are my friends. These are the people that I walk with. These are the people that I discipled. This is Peter who even denied me, and he he showed to all his friends. Notice this, verse number 6, not only his friends, but his flock. He said after that he was seen of what? Above 500 brethren at once. In case you're not sure, Jesus showed up to a group of 500 people at one time. His flock, if you would. The church, believers, followers of Christ. And if they weren't believers, when he showed up, they were. And these were the people, listen, that were followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. 500 people at one time he showed up to, and get this, they all gave testimony. And this is what Peter said about them. He said, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. Get this, when he wrote the letter to the Corinthian church, this is 1 Corinthians He said, if you don't believe me, go talk to him because a lot of them are still alive and you can ask them for yourself, did they see Jesus? And they could have done that. And they substantiated that evidence there of the flock that he presented to. Look at verse number seven, not only his friends and his flock, but also his family. Look at this, it says, after that he was seen of who? James. Now James is the stepbrother of Jesus Christ. He was the son of Mary and Joseph. James is the author of the book of James. And James was a, like a religious fanatic as far as being a Pharisee, as far as being 
staunch and we, we get, uh, show me your faith by your works from James in the book of James. And, and we see this about James and James was his family. Listen, James was not a believer before he saw Jesus. He did not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ until he saw him. Jesus showed up before his family and his family believed on him. Listen, don't let me burst your bubble if you're an ex-Catholic or you are a Catholic, but Mary had to believe on Jesus too. The family had to believe on Jesus Christ. She wasn't a believer from her birth. She was not virgin born. She was just like me and you. See, Mary and Joseph and James and Jonas and all these people had to believe just like we have to believe, except they got to see it. They saw him. Their hands handled him. Notice not only his family, but also his followers. It says, then of all the apostles. Isn't that amazing? All these people Jesus showed up to. You say, what was Jesus busy doing after the resurrection? He was holding church meetings. He was going from one place to another place to another place to another place to another place. Let me also say some people that weren't mentioned in this passage of Scripture. What about the soldiers who guarded the tomb? What do you think happened to those guys? They got buried in some Jewish Area 51 somewhere. They got gone quick because they would have substantiated the fact that Jesus rose from the grave because they were there when the tomb actually rolled. And can I say this? The stone didn't roll away from the door to let Jesus out. It rolled away from the door to let us see he wasn't there. Jesus didn't need stones to roll away for him any more than he needed doors to open for him. The Bible says when these disciples were in the room, they had the door barred shut and Jesus walked through the door. Listen, I think they would have remembered him saying, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go and end out and find pasture. I think they would have remembered him saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. See, they began to remember all the things that he told them because it was up here, but all their unbelief was keeping them from that faith, wasn't it? And then they saw. When Thomas finally saw, what happened? Thomas fell down on his face, and he said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to Thomas, Blessed are they that believe and have not seen. See, he states the fact, and then he substantiates the fact, and then he throws to you and I who have not seen. And he says, if you want to be, be blessed, believe. Because the truth is what will make you free. And just like in a court of law, if I'm on the jury, and I'm the one passing, if you would, the sentence or the verdict, if I lit, listen to a group of credible witnesses and they're brought before me and they say the same thing over and over and over and over again, if I'm on the jury and I'm pure in my mind and I'm making proper judgment, I'm going to say what these guys are saying is true and I'm going to believe it. And based on this substantiation, I'm going to pass my judgment. And this is what God does to all of us. He is the judge, and he makes us the jury. He says, I want you to listen to the witnesses, and I want you to pass the judgment for yourself. But let me not leave the last person out of the list. 
Because after we hear from his friends and his flock and his family and his followers, the last person we hear of is who calls himself the least. We hear from his foe. We hear from someone who was not his friend. Because if you're with me, it's easy to get your friends to say things about you that you want them to say, and sometimes even easier to get your family to cooperate with you. But it's not so easy to get someone who is against you to say the same thing as all the other people are saying that Saul. See, Paul was not a family member. He was not a friend. He was not a follower. He was not an apostle here. When Jesus appeared before Paul on the Damascus Road, he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. He said, it's hard for you to kick against the truth, the conviction, to, for you to say as a factual statement that I'm not Jesus and I didn't rise from the grave. It's hard for you to, to bark against something that's true. And let me say this, it's equally difficult for those that are speaking out against the truth of the resurrection today because there's so much evidence substantiating the fact that they're not telling the truth. And what I'm saying to you this morning is I'm not trying to get you to accept some kind of religious rhetoric or for you to say, well, I joined this church and I'm from this background. This is my religion. This is what I was baptized into. This is what mommy and daddy was. And this is what we learned growing up. And this is all these things. I'm not trying to get you to see that this morning. I just want you to look at the pure, unadulterated truth of God's word and pass judgment yourself. Because you have got to make a judgment. And just like a lawyer would stand up, Paul is standing up like a lawyer, and one time he was the prosecutor, and now he's the defense lawyer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in Romans, he makes such a defense, doesn't he, for the gospel. And Paul began to speak, and everywhere he went, the Bible says he stood before kings, and he stood before rulers, and he stood before the Greeks, and he stood before the Gentiles, and he stood in synagogues, and everywhere he went, he continued to substantiate the fact that let God be true, and every man a liar, that Jesus Christ had truly and surely, factually risen from the grave. And he didn't pull any punches about it. And when he was threatened with prison and with beating and with death, he stood on the same truth. Listen to me, friend. You don't go to your grave. You don't go to a beating. You don't go to a post. You don't go to martyrdom doing something that you don't believe in. And Paul truly believed that Jesus was the Son of God. And he believed that because Jesus substantiated that evidence and everything else he had done when he walked out of the grave. Listen to me, friend. You have got to, you have got to yourself also pass a judgment this morning. And everybody in the room, you're all the jury, and you're going to pass one way or another. And this is the presentation, and I've done all, and I've said all that I wanted to say to you this morning. I just wanted to give a good hearing of the Word of God. And then I want you to pass judgment. Because it's all good and well for us to come together for religious purposes on Easter Sunday and put on our best and come in and do our duty and leave. But the truth of the matter is, the only thing that's going to make a true difference in your life is if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved. Because you've got to make judgment yourself. And when you say, I won't make any judgment, you've already made your own judgment. You're just like somebody on a jury that says, I don't want to say guilty 
or not guilty. But you can't be undecided on this because indecision, like Nicodemus found in John chapter 3, is a decision. And you have to make one because here's the truth. It's appointed unto you and to me to die. There's a calendar day that you're going to die. And I don't know when that is, but God does. And all of us die. I've done funerals for little babies, and I've done funerals for old people and everybody in between. And I tell you, people die of all kinds of reasons and forms and factors, and all of them have to do with the death that passed upon all men because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there are none righteous, no, not one. Every single one of us in this room, we all know that we've done wrong. And so it is our sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. And whether or not we want to believe it or not, we are responsible for nailing him to his cross. We were responsible for his death because he died for us. The Bible says, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for you because you were a good person. He died for you because you were a sinner. He said, I came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And no amount of religious rhetoric or ritual or putting a tagline or denomination to your name When you go to the hospital and they ask you what denomination you are, that's not going to take you to heaven if you die in that place. It doesn't matter whether you're a Baptist or whether you're a Buddhist. It doesn't take you to heaven. Only Christ takes you to heaven. It's only in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is his death, it is his burial, and his resurrection. It is nothing more and it is nothing less. It is all in Christ. And so what my asking to you today is, what is your verdict? What is your judgment? I ask you just for a moment because I want you to think about what you heard. Just bow your head and close your eyes. Don't look around. Uh, don't worry about people around you. I just want to have a conversation with you, and this is the best way I can in a large group of people. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.